0: On with the show!
1: Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another special episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. You all know my voice. I'm the nerd, and today I have a special guest, someone I've been waiting to have on the show for a while. Ever since you know the idea came up, and this lady, I've been binging her stuff lately, man. Uh, it's been very, very good to keep me entertained. Here, I add another podcast to my list, and I think you guys will as well after hearing her speak today and just hearing how entertaining and awesome she is. I'm speaking about Alexis Sharday. How you doing, ma'am?
2: Hey, nerd, what's
1: up? <laughs> and of course, you're the host of the Life Coaching Comedians podcast, which I am now a huge fan of. I absolutely love it. Before we get into anything, I want to know, because this is a really cool, interesting podcast, and I don't like listening to the same thing over and over again. That's why I listen to very few. Mm-hmm. Yours has a, a very interesting take on podcasting, and it's not just a person asking questions. I feel like you got this whole like gimmick going on. And I really dig it. It's just really different how you interview and talk to people. It's like you're a counselor almost helping these people out. Can you explain a little bit about your podcast?
2: Yeah. So my podcast is called uh, Life Coaching Comedians and it is an improv um, style podcast. So I literally do not know what is going to come out of my mouth that day. And usually my guest doesn't either. Um, I bring on only comedians onto my show. Uh, hence, life coaching comedians, and I do let them know, hey, it's it's improv. Um, you're welcome to speak from the heart, or you're welcome to play for a char- Play a character. Um, I play a character. I essentially took all of the therapists that I've had in my lifetime, and also like gurus and people that I've listened to on YouTube, and kind of made a character out of oh excuse me my cats are fighting.
1: <laughs> mm, that's, that's, that's why I don't like cats. I'm not a cat. <laughs>
2: um, but I pretty much made a character out of like all those people I've experienced and that's who I portray in the podcast. So I'm in character, I speak differently. I'm not a good therapist. I actually project a lot and you know do active listening somewhat but interrupt and talk about myself also. So it's it's really fun.
1: Absolutely amazing podcast. So I mean, like, cause, cause I'm gonna be honest with you. When you, certain points of the interviews that you were doing, I'm like, you know, I I really hate this person. It's like you, the, the the character <laughs> that you're doing is so like I know better than you. you know yeah, what you're talking about. I absolutely love it. It's great because you're laughing one second and you want to strangle, you know, the, <laughs> the interviewer at the next. It's it's it, it's a really cool, interesting show, and I, I just want to know, like, how did you come up with this idea? Because it's very unique.
2: Um, so I wanted to start a podcast for a long time. Um, my public speaking started in radio when I was in college. So, um, I actually got kicked off my radio station for something super stupid. And, um, ever since then I've kind of, I've wanted to do radio again, but I have such a, I don't really have a filter. Like, there are times where I can kind of turn a filter on. But, like, when I speak, I speak best when it comes from a place that's, um, like, a spontaneous place. And I can speak freely and not have to think about what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And when you're in radio, you have to worry about all the FCC regulations and all that bullshit. So I've always wanted to start a podcast. And I was trying to come up with an idea that wasn't just... um, you know, basic interview style or just the, you know, typical comedians shooting shit kind of a deal. I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be something that people will look forward to each week and kind of have some sort of premise or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm blanking right now. But just something like kind of like a TV show, right? Like there's kind of maybe a cliffhanger before or I don't know, like every episode is a little bit different. So you never really know what to expect.
1: I think those are the best kinds of conversations. And I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of our stuff, but we try to make every yeah. episode unique. We try to do everything different. We, we try to not have the same kind of guests on multiple times because I feel like people just don't have that attention span anymore. you got to keep them engaged. And I think you're doing a great job with it. So,
2: Yeah, you're thank part. you. I think you guys are doing a great job also.
1: Oh, thank you. Just, it, it, yours was a really good find, and definitely in my rotation. But I want to ask you this, because you are from Arizona, right? Is, is that where you're, you, you, you're from, or is that just where you live?
2: That's where I live. I've been here for six years. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon.
1: Okay. How's the weather right now in Arizona? Because everyone is complaining how hot it is. You guys perpetually have heat waves, it seems like. How you Yeah.
2: Um, and air conditioning. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had like record breaking heat this week, which I feel like happens every summer. So I'm pretty sure we're, um, the portal to hell. I don't know. Um, it's, okay, yeah. it was like 118 yesterday. It was crazy. Jesus
1: Christ. Now, is it one of those stupid things where the guys go on TV and they say, "Hey, it's 118," but it feels like it's 150? I mean, like, was it actually 118, or did it just feel 118?
2: No, it was actually 118. Um, last night, me and my friend actually went down to a comedy club here called Stand Up Live because David Spade was performing. And you have to wait out outside until they. we were at the later show. So we had to wait outside while they cleaned the room and tidied it up before they let us all in. And we were like dripping sweat like waiting to get inside it was awful
1: (laughs) oh my goodness how is the comedy scene out there in arizona because when i think of comedy scenes i think of like new york i think of california you don't really think of arizona how is the scene out there
2: oh it's awesome um there are about i would say six major venues And then there's a lot of kind of shows that happen at like really cool, like hipster type bars and even like dive bars. It's a very, very supportive um, community. Um, I had actually started doing stand up when I lived in Los Angeles. And when I moved here, it was just like a whole different vibe. And everyone's very talented. Like the people that are active in the comedy circuit here are extremely talented, they're dedicated, they're driven um you know I love going to an open mic and trying new jokes and you know someone will always be like hey like I really liked your set um I thought of this tag you know like everyone's like building each other up and helping make each other better and um honestly that's what's what that's what made me decide to like really start taking it seriously again because for a couple years I was just kind of like creatively dead and felt beat up because you know in LA it's more cutthroat and Mm-hmm. So I really like it, I really like it here and I feel like it'll definitely, it's definitely going to be and is, also, is already starting to be like a staple in the comedy world. Um, especially with things that are going on in, L- in um, LA, California. A lot of um, people have been like traveling and touring to try to go to places that are open. So every time I go somewhere now, I'm meeting somewhere from somewhere else. And that's, that's really interesting too, because we've pretty much been open the whole time running comedy shows the best that we can during the whole COVID shutdown.
1: It's crazy how some states operated one way and some operate another way, and you get completely opposite results as far as like, okay, so you would think that the ones that stayed open would have these horrific results, and the ones that closed down would just be a beacon of light for everyone else to sit there and be like, hey, they did it right. But yeah, yeah. look at states like yours and Florida, and everything was, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, crazy really really just nuts I don't want to go down that path though because everyone's so (laughs) depressed hearing about this shit and I and I go off on it regularly but yeah yeah (laughs) it's just just so depressing but still, I want to get here because there's one episode that I was binging on your podcast and I stopped immediately because I'm like this is good stuff but I don't want to hear it from the recording I I want to hear from you live because you got a really cool story and the episode I'm talking about is the Mother's Day episode where you kind of started talking about your life and I got about a few sentences into it. I'm like, no, I can't hear anymore. I would rather hear it from you live here on the air. You've got a really interesting story. You're a single mother, and today being Father's Day, uh, as we're doing this recording, I want to say happy Father's Day to you, because you're <laughs> a single mom, so you wear both hats. Yes, I do. <laughs> How do you manage it?
2: You know, I actually just wrote a joke about this. Um, I said, you know, it's, it's hard to manage it, because you don't know when to, like, take off the mom hat, put the dad hat on, when it's appropriate, and... You know, the other day I went into the refrigerator to have some orange juice and all the orange juice was gone and I lost my shit. I said, I'm the man of the house, God damn it. I get the last sip of juice. <laughs> That's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, how do you manage just being that mother? Because, so before I even ask the question, what is the relationship like with the father? Is Is everything good there? Is he around?
2: No, it's it's just been us the whole time. I mean, there there are there's an open line of communication or there was an open line of communication between them. Like I try to do my best to let her form her own opinion about him. Um, but it's it's just us. Um, you know, I get child support checks are extremely inconsistent. So um it's I've I've learned how to be I already was self sufficient before I wound up pregnant, but I've been I'm extremely self sufficient and it's just it's just me and her.
1: Uh, that, that's terrible but i mean it, it's a story that you hear very often uh-huh. and more and more as the years go on you know you hear about s- single mothers and when father's day comes around i always reach out to my sisters because my sisters were single mothers so i say hey happy father's day to you and I, and I like to say that to them because i know it means something to them and just women like you strong woman yeah you, you have to appreciate the effort that goes into just having to play both roles and it's, it's got to be tough. I mean, like, how do you manage your career and being a mom and dad without any help?
2: Well, you've got to find people that you think would be an amazing influence on your child and trust that they will be and pay them to help you. Um, and you got to work hard so you can be able to pay that. I mean, like, I'm, I'm really big on you are what you think about, so if you're focused on what needs to happen in order for you to be successful and believe that that will be true, it, it, just, it just happens. Everything just works out. So even though there are times where I've like kind of struggled financially, I've always had exactly what I needed to get by and to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really try not to focus on the times when it's tough or the tough things that come along with single parenthood. Um, but you know, those challenges change over time. So like now it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pro- provider. My daughter's 11. Now I've been providing this whole time. You know, I bought my first home a couple of years ago and that was a huge accomplishment for me because at one point as a mom, I didn't think I'd be able to do that on my own, you know? So sure. that that broke a huge self-limiting belief for me, self-limiting belief for me. And, you know, now there's the next self-limiting belief that I have to break through. Like there's levels to believing in yourself and what you're capable of doing. Um, so there's a lot of stuff now that is just like, I've programmed in me to operate. And now it's more so dealing with molding her as like a human. I don't even really want to say molding her because I want her to be her own person. But like, Teaching her how to navigate her emotions and like self-reflecting and looking inward so she can make good choices for herself and, you know, teaching her about people and, you know, what emotional intelligence is and how to communicate properly and all these things. And so she doesn't go through, like, the depression and the anxiety and the frustration that I went through as a child and a young adult, you know?
1: That's got to be tough growing up as a woman because, I mean, there's so many people out there trying to take advantage of you. Oh, yeah. they, They always say having a father figure in the house is the most important thing. But, I mean, how do you draw the line of being mom and dad? Is there, like, a certain hat you put on, like, this is what a dad should say? Or do you just do it at, hey this is just me I'm mom and I'm just gonna say what I have to say and just kind of like not have to play like good cop bad cop when you're the only one in the household it, it, it's hard to put in the words the, the, the question here but like do you yeah. just do or do you do what you think a man would do in certain situations
2: um I try to be really really transparent with her and I tell her you know like I I do like I've had this conversation with her you know it's like hard for me because like I'm a natural nurturer and I love her. Like she's my best friend. I just want to have fun with her. Like, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm goofy. She's just as goofy as silly. I like to have fun, but you know, there are times when I really have to put my foot down with her and be disciplined and, like my, my parents used to beat my ass and like I don't like doing that with her. Like I spanked her when she was younger and like very very few like there if I ever have to spank her, like I have a whole conversation with her about it before I do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm beating you with this wooden spoon. If you don't want me to do it again, then don't do this shit again. And it hurts me then more than it hurts you. Like, you know, like <laughs>
1: But I'm gonna do that afterwards because I mean, the anticipation like man, you're telling me you're gonna whip my ass. Now I'm thinking about getting my ass whipped. Now I just went it over with already. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: So I mean, there's been times I've really had to put my foot down. Um and there's been times that I've had to like just be mean to her for a week, And you know, that was broke my heart, but it's just like, Hey dude, like I'm your I'm your parent before I'm your friend and if you're not gonna respect me as a parent, then I'm not gonna be your friend, you know? Yeah. So the there's been it's, it's been a challenging year with that, but um, I think we are making way.
1: What is your social life like as a single mom? Like, do you have time to have friends? Do you have any social life at all?
2: Yeah, um, I have time to have friends. I have like a, a core group of friends that I met like when I first moved here um, in Arizona when I was, working at, um, I was working as a personal trainer at a gym called Lifetime Out here. And, um, I kind of developed a core group of friends and, you know, we've been friends for six years and we were all like adulting and, you know, everyone's married and like having kids now and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we don't get together as often, but usually we get together for like big functions, birthdays, bachelorette parties, gender reveals, baby showers, like things like that. Um, and great support system. Like I can, you know, if I need advice on something or whatever, I can reach out, but, usually I'm the one that's getting asked the advice because out of, out of the friends in my group, um, most of the friends in my group, um, I'm the one that has been a mother, the longest aside from like a couple others. So, um, with my younger friends, usually they're like reaching out to me about like parenting stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say most of my social life is actually through comedy. Um, So, like, a night out for me is, like, going to the comedy club, you know? Mm. Um, I don't really like to go out-out. I mean, I do sometimes. I have a a couple friends that I like to go out with and explore Phoenix and kind of see things and and try new places and try new things. Um, Now that my daughter's getting a little bit more independent and she, you know, likes more time for herself and with her friends, it gives me a little bit more freedom to have more of a social life than I did before because... At one point, you know, I, w- I mean, I've always had like multiple jobs or multiple ways of making income. But like at one point, you know, I had like three, three jobs. You know, I had like my job, my full time job and I was bartending on the side and like driving for Uber and Lyft on the side. So um, at one point I had like no social life at all, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Three jobs at once. And one of them being a passion project, your, your, your comedy. Now, before we get into your comedy, I want to get more into your life, because that's not the only job that you had, was being a bartender. You had another job that I want to talk about here that that I was tickled when I heard about this, because the way you explained it was really funny. So so you were an exotic dancer as well.
2: Yeah, I was shaking that ass with that cash.
1: <laughs> Can you talk about how how the heck did that happen?
2: You know, um, It was something I was, like, curious about in college, and I had, like, an opportunity um, to do it, but I didn't because um, my family was really well known uh, within my university, so I didn't want to get caught up in that bullshit. So when I moved to L.A. after I graduated, um, I moved with a really good friend of mine He was, like, a brother to me. And he had already lived in L.A. for a while. And he was telling me about these like these bars in California called bikini bars. And it's like it has the aesthetic and the whole vibe of a sh- of a strip club. But the girls don't get un- like the girls don't show nudity. They're like in bikinis or they're in lingerie. There's lap dances and then there's pole dancing. But there's no nudity. And we it's called
1: go-go bars in New Jersey. Yeah.
2: Go-go bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I forgot that you're in New Jersey. Um, that's where my family lives now. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm thinking that it's just, like, I didn't think that it would be, like, so much like a strip club. I thought it would be more like a hangout spot, you know? And so, like, I went to go get a job as a waitress at one. And um, they're like, oh, you know, of course, every girl that wants to start dabbling in that, they want to go for a waitress waitress or bartender because you know they don't want to be judged for taking off their clothes they think they're better than that so everyone first goes for waitress bartending so there's never any of those positions open at those places ever (laughs) like never you can never walk in like oh yeah we have an opening so um the manager was like have you ever danced before and I was like like pole dancing no and he's like uh well you know it's no nudity whatever blah 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 you make great money dancing like at least a few hundred dollars a night um if you want to come back tomorrow with a swimsuit and audition I was like all right sure whatever like I had like looked at the place it seemed really chill I was like okay cool so I went back auditioned hired worked that night um and because I was a new face like I made like five hundred dollars off one guy in one night and I was like holy shit this is too easy yeah this is way too easy and I just moved to LA Just finished. Graduating college, I literally moved to LA with like five hundred dollars in my pocket and was like trying to like figure out what I was gonna do with my life. So, I was doing that. I got a job, also at a restaurant. And then while I was working at the restaurant for a while, I got a job working for this lawyer. And I always liked law. I was like obsessed with Ali McBeal as a kid. Um, and he thought I would make a really good um, paralegal. And so I started working with him and the whole plan was he was going to pay for me to become a paralegal and work for him that way. And so I really just felt like I had my hustle on right, you know, and um, then I started like getting out and like, you know, exploring the city and I got caught up with this dude who put his best foot forward and didn't really show his true self. And, um, you know, when I got pregnant by him, I, um, stop dancing and was able to re uh, remain a, like a door girl waitress doing like all the other things at that club. Yeah. And, um, and I made great money doing that. And, um, and then after I had my daughter, you know, I went back to dancing. Now I was a hot commodity cause I was a pregnant girl all this time. And like, I went back to my, like, pre-baby size really quick. I actually got in better shape after I had my daughter. So then like I started dancing again and I was just making like a lot of money. And then I started exploring like different clubs and stuff like that. And um yeah I, I did it for the entire time I lived in LA, which is about six years.
1: Why'd you hang up the thong? I mean it sounds like you're doing really good doing that. Like make-
2: um I struggled with it a lot. Um, I struggled with it a lot because I, I just felt like it wasn't meant for me like that, like, even though I did all right, um, I just felt like it wasn't meant for me and it wasn't safe for, it wasn't safe for my, me- my mental health. Cause, um, I'm so men go to men go to the strip club for fantasy, right? Oh okay. yeah. Perfect. And, but there's a fantasy on the other side too. There's a fantasy side for the single dancer. There's this, there's a fantasy for the single dancer. Who's also a hopeless romantic, right?
0: Mm.
2: You, you have a guy that comes in and he, and he's living his fantasy. He says all the right things. He takes care of you that night. And then they want to explore you outside of the club. Let's go to dinner. Let's do this. Let me take you shopping, all these things. And they play that perfect man for you, and you fucking fall for it. And then when you realize that you were really just a transaction, that really fucks with you, you know?
1: And that's a lot of what goes on there. I mean, you don't really hear any true love stories come out of a strip club, which is unfortunate. But oh, I mean, I've,
2: I've seen them happen. I've seen them happen for sure. Really? Yeah. Um, which, you know, made me hopeful. But, um, yeah, I was just like you know, I, I constantly fell into that fantasy world myself and it, and it became unhealthy. It affected my self-worth. Um, I got tired of being looked at as a sexual symbol. Like I, to this day, I can't stand it. Like, like I've been like dabbling in Tinder lately just to kind of put myself out there. And if a guy, like, if the first thing that he says to me is like, Hey, sexy, I'm like completely turned off by that. You know, like, I know I'm sexy. I know that like, you don't need to tell me and you don't need to, like, worship me for that. I've done that already, you know? <laughs> like, what? tell me my mind is sexy, you know? like exactly. so,
1: Yeah. Now, what is dating like anymore? I mean, like, my wife and I have been together for 15, 16 years now and been happily together, you know? Like, we've had our ups and downs, obviously, like every other couple out there, but... We were having this conversation where it's like, what the hell would, would you do if, if, if we just split up right now? Because we don't know how to operate these apps and things like that. What is it like now, dating?
2: Oh Man, it is challenging. Um, yeah, it's challenging because, like, everyone has, like, their shit, you know? like And honestly, I think... Being an exotic dancer made me really wise and, and it gave me, um, I don't regret it at all. I think it, it made me more emotionally intelligent It made me more aware of people. Um, I think be, doing that is what made me like want to become a life coach and just learn about life to be able to like help people. Cause I truly believe that through our own suffering, once we heal through our own suffering, we're able to teach from those scars, you know? Um, so I have some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, probably misconceptions and preconceptions about men because I've seen them in their dark element, you know? And so I try to recognize flags and sometimes I'll recognize flags and ignore them. Or sometimes I'll recognize them from the jump and be like, eh, I already know what energy is coming with this person. So that's not it for me. Um, so I had to like really take a step back from dating for a while and just like really continue to work on myself and better myself. And I just try to have like intellectual conversations with people because if they can't carry that, then it's most likely not going to be the person that I want to pursue or date. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know, I just kind of have to tread lightly, I guess. Like, I try to be open, but also not not just, like, giving my time away to anybody. Like, I try to ask more specific questions, have more insightful conversations, just to see if it's, you know, someone that I would be able to, like, learn from and, and grow with. Um, and, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of people out there that work on themselves, which is sad to say.
1: That's true. It's, it's, it's very true. And the way people are nowadays, it's, it's, it's not me, it's you. So it's always someone else's problem. No one ever looks at themselves like maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I need to work on myself. They think everyone else is a problem, so they think they're fine. And people never grow that way. And that's just the way yeah. it seems we're being steered now. But in regards to dating, because you're a single mother, How soon into the whole feeling out process or do you put it on your Tinder profile? Like, do you say, hey, I have a kid. Do you put that out there immediately? Or is that something you have to kind of ease into the whole getting to know someone process?
2: Um, I don't put it on my Tinder profile because, one, just like safety, you know, like I don't like to put myself out there and, and and show all my cards and like my vulnerability because there are predators out there. Sure. Um, but I will like, it's usually the first thing that I mention because, you know, package deal. I'm not saying like, I'm going to introduce you to my daughter on the first date. Like absolutely fucking no way am I doing that. But you know, sh- I, I put myself first, she's number two. So you're going to be number three, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I try to make sure that's very clear from the jump.
1: Now, the thing is, is when you're introducing your child like because like i said we've been in the game together for 16 years now my wife and i so I, I haven't dated anyone you know since becoming a father so i i'm asking these questions from a genuine place of i don't know how soon into like when you meet someone like you go out on what one or two dates do you do you guys you know have sex before like like when you say hey i have a kid or when you introduce them or how, how long into the process before you uh see how he is with
2: your kid? Um, it varies by case. Um, Mm. I have a pretty social life, so I've definitely done the thing in the past where, like, um, I've had guys I was dating, you know, be around in social settings or even come over to her house, but, um, you know, I let them know, hey, like, I'm not trying to be no like physical contact touchy feely type, type of stuff you know in front of my kid I'm not like that I don't like to do that in front of her mm-hmm. and um but I did that last year like last year I introduced her to a couple guys I was dating um one of which also had a kid so it was just kind of like hey come over meet the family you know
0: mm-hmm. so
2: that's kind of how that whole thing started and I don't regret it I do and I don't because like we both got attached, like, to him and his family, like, really quick, and then, and then it turned out he really didn't know what he wanted, so that, it was, it was hard, Um, 'cause because, you know, she's like, well, why aren't we going over to his house anymore, and it's like, yeah, you know, so that was kind of a lesson to me. I, I kind of compromised what I usually would do because it was different because he, too, was a single dad, so, you know, I, I took a chance on that, and, um, The last guy I dated, I waited, like, I actually knew him for six months before, I knew him for three months before we even started dating, and then I knew him for six months before I introduced him to my daughter, and um, he actually asked me, so that's when I felt like things were getting serious, and that he was showing that he was committed, and, um, but he wasn't ready, so... Uh, that was a lesson for me, too. Like, even when the other person asks, probably shouldn't just jump into it right away, you know? Um, but I appreciated that he he wanted, you know, to meet her and, and start to kind of, like, be a part of her life. But luckily, you know, he had only been around, like, a couple times, so it wasn't like she got super attached to him or anything. But yeah, I have to be careful because I had a very significant relationship that lasted um, about two years, and He was very much involved in in her life and, you know, when his heart broke, it broke twice and then when her heart broke, it also broke twice because she saw that I was heartbroken and then she was heartbroken that she didn't have him around anymore and, Mm. you know, she still talks about him to this day and we're friends now and, you know, when he is, like, if he is in town, like, we'll get together and stuff like that but, um, but yeah, it was really hard on the both of us and I really don't want to do that to her again.
1: Well, it's a very responsible decision. I mean, even if you fall head over heels over a guy and she's like, you know what, mom, I don't like this guy. <laughs> like, it's it's just one of those things where it's you're, you're dating two people. You got to impress the kid. You got to impress the old lady, too. So, I mean, it's just I couldn't imagine it. Um, so I, that's why I ask these questions about people that are dating with children in today's times. It just seems like it's so much. It's right at the press of a button. You can you can find someone. So it's. There's so many people out there. I don't know if it's easier or harder, to be honest with you. Yeah, I
2: don't know. Like, I've, I kind of have this, like, idea in the back of my mind that, I mean, even though I am dating, like, I don't think I would, I don't, I don't think I would, like, full on date the way that I want to until, like, my daughter is, like, out of the house. Like, she's 11. I got, like, seven seven more years left, you know? Mm. So, no. But once she's out, it's going to be cougar season.
1: <laughs> All right. So let so let me ask you, because the reason why I, I really wanted to talk to you is because you are a stand-up comedian. And I have some beefs with stand-up comedians and what? of female persuasion. Okay.
2: Excuse me.
1: Now, I want to ask you, because you're a female comedian, and I just wanted to just ask you this question just to get it out of the way here. My my wife and I watch a lot of comedies, a lot of stand-up comedy. And one thing we notice with female comedians is the ones that are out there making you know all the money, like millions of dollars, they all have the same act. I'm this they ju- talk
2: about their period.
1: Yeah. I, I get <laughs> a lot. I'm such a whore. Oh, I just love to get drunk and have sex. It seems like that's the whole act. You as a female comedian, do you see that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go that route. Or like, 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 what do you think of that kind of comedy? in general because it seems like just as an outsider that's the way i see female comedians
2: um i definitely walk the line um and the reason why i walk the line with that is just because of my past um i you know i think the reason why female comics go that way is because you're being a voice for women that feel guilty for their sexuality you know Mm -hmm. Um, like, for me, I grew up Christian, so, like, I actually, fun fact about me, I actually started exploring my sexuality when I was nine. I didn't lose my virginity till I was 19, but I started exploring my sexuality when I was nine, which means I started flicking the bean at a young age, and, <laughs> yeah, and um, because I grew up in a Christian household... Um, I felt guilt and shame and all this stuff
1: mm.
2: or something that was supposed to be liberating and, and releasing energy and something that's supposed to be healthy for me, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And it took me, a, it took me, t- I don't know, almost 20 years to like finally let go of that and accept like my sexuality. So I think that comes from a place of trying to empower other woman, but also there's self-deprecating humor so that it can also just be the comedian projecting their own self-worth issues and things like that on stage. Um, I do have sexual jokes. Um, I do have some jokes where, you know, I, I talk down about myself, but it's pretty lighthearted and it, and it really is funny. Um, I like, I don't like to tell I don't, tell, I, like, I don't like to tell anything that's racist, sexist, um, you know, misogynist or anything like that um, unless it is truly funny, because mm-hmm. I look at comedy as a way to um, exploit truths and also to expose the ego. And when you really look, take a step back out of yourself and you look at your ego and all the dumb shit you've done out of ego, it's fucking hilarious. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's what comedy is. Comedy is, is really healing. It, it brings self awareness, it brings consciousness. Because everyone laughs at it because it's true. You know what's true, but you maybe never thought about it that way. And so I truly look at comedy as like expanding consciousness. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I do see it. Um, I do it sometimes. Um, but I think there's you, obviously you got to have more topics. In your belt to be fully relatable to other audiences than just, than just the woman audience.
1: Oh, absolutely. Now, let me skip back here because you said one word that I know the people listening were like, oh, crap. She mentioned religion because I jump all over this stuff. When I hear religion, I have to jump on it because I'm a big non believer. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a reason to believe. So I classify myself as an agnostic. The way they. Okay grew up, where you said, you know, you were flicking to being at nine, you, were, you grew up in a very Christian household you were told that wasn't a good thing to do. How do you use that in turn, your upbringing, and how do you enforce your views on your daughter, or do you just wait for that conversation to come up, or how does that work now?
2: Um, so I turned away from the church. Um... When I was about 19, I started seeing, I started seeing all the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies and I just, it just didn't sit well with me. And I was pretty, I would say, I've always believed in a higher power, but it was more of like, I don't really know what that higher power is. So I guess you can call me, I guess at that time you could have called me a optimistic agnostic, I don't know. Um, And then I started exploring energy and spirituality And, um, actually when I was still going to church, there was a class that they put on for us to learn other religions so we could understand other religions and how to talk to other people of other religions to like recruit them to Christianity, which is kind of fucked up. But, um, I was really, I really liked uh, Buddhism. Um, I found it very, um, like I saw it as a non-denominational universal way of like speaking of enlightenment, you know? And then about a few years ago um, I started kind of being interested in like rereading the Bible after like what I've learned. And um, I now consider myself Christ conscious, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm Christian for one. I think if you're truly a Christian, you would actually try to do what Jesus did because you're a follower of Christ. So, Um, I call myself Christ Conscious because I reread things in the Bible and Christ was actually trying to um, teach us how to be conscious and teach us how to be self-aware and show us that we all have these spiritual abilities and gifts in us and how to use them. And he was having a human experience, just like all of us are having a human experience on earth and he, too, did struggle with his own mind, which is the biggest challenge in this life. Um, I am somewhat of a free thinker, conspiracy theorist. Like I, I pretty much can get with the idea that we are in a computer program and our mind is, is the computer piece that fucks with us so we can't listen to our bodies and we can't communicate to Source or whatever, our higher, our higher self, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. Um, so I think... The story of Jesus Christ is, is like people say before, what did they say before, uh, before leaving earth, instructions before leaving earth or whatever it is, basic instructions before leaving earth. I truly believe that it, it, that is a message for us to learn how to, um, how to win the battle with the mind so we can truly be free. So that's how I look at Christianity or the Bible and the story of Jesus now. But I think religion has been, because it's made by humans, there's so many flaws. And I don't think that we should put all our faith into one fucking book. You know, um, it was written by man, man. Uh, it it was distorted by man. It was bits and pieces of it were taken out by man as a form of manipulation and control to control people.
0: Absolutely. But
2: if you look at it from a spiritual aspect and like, I'm really big on vibrations and elevating your vibration so you can uh, heal yourself. Right. And when I started studying energy work and reading about, you know, things that you should do to elevate your vibration, those things actually match up with the 10 commandments. So then I started looking at the 10 commandments in a different way. And it's like, it's not about, this is law. This is like, this is what you need to do to keep your your um, your vibration elevated at its highest so you can be the manifester and the creator of your own reality and you can save yourself. Jesus isn't our savior. Jesus was trying to teach us how to save ourselves. Therefore, he can be a form of savior because you learn how to save yourself through his teachings, if that makes sense. Well,
1: that makes perfect sense. But this is my whole argument with the Bible, and it, it, it doesn't make sense, but it does So basically, imagine you and I, right? Me and you just met at a bar and I came up to you and I said, hey, listen, Lexus. I know we just met, but I got to tell you something really fucked up that I saw the other day. And you're like, "Okay, I'm intrigued. I want to hear what it is. Like, yeah. So I was at the beach, my friend Billy, and uh, he just walked up to the ocean. He parted it because he because some guy told him to. (laughs) I mean, would you believe me or would you say, no, this guy's a fucking insane person. I'm going to get away from him. But people believe this happened because the Bible says that it happened. If I was to say to you, "Hey, man, you know what's fucking weird? I was walking down by the, uh, you know, I was walking down by the funeral home and I saw my cousin who died 20 years ago. He just got up out the ground and walked, you know, and now he's healing people. That's what happened to Jesus, right? Then he come back, he came back from the dead, and now he's like a person who can touch the lame and you know bring him back to life or whatever the hell." Mm-hmm. It, it's like you, you, you can say these things out loud and these intelligent people out there. Like I listen to a lot of people, intelligent human beings that you know are making decisions that our money goes to as far as taxes and stuff like that. Like people in, in government are saying, oh, you know, you know oh, this God, God is good. God is great. I, I, I just know how these intelligent people can believe in such crazy beliefs when you say these things out loud and read the book. It's just crazy.
2: Yeah, I definitely went through. I mean, I don't know if if. Those specific stories are true, um, but when I started studying energy work and, and learning how energy works and learning how to harness my own energy, I very I very much do believe that that is possible. Um, everything's energy. It's like it's like the butterfly effect, you know. Like mm-hmm. me me punching a wall could turn into like a tornado somewhere else you know like energy moves it's not it's not created or destroyed it's just constantly moving and we are vessels of energy so you know i i can meditate and bring energy into my body and then use that to like help heal somebody you know like like i study are you familiar with reiki
1: I, I I've heard of it, but never really like did that deep dive. What is it all about? Okay.
2: So pretty much what you're saying, all those stories that Jesus did, that's a form of Reiki. It's a it's a form of opening yourself up to be a vessel and take energy in and and store it or use it or pass it through your body. So um I remember the first time someone had uh performed Reiki on I me and it was like when I had a shoulder injury and um <laughs> believe me or not, I was fucking levitating off the ground because that's how much energy was going through my body, that my body was not touching the ground. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe, I like, if I was a believer when I was a kid and then I wasn't believer, like, I definitely believe it now. Um, and that's why I say that he was a teacher of what we're able, what we're capable of. We all have the capability to tap into energy like that.
1: What do you think it is that... Maybe some people just are closed minded, they refuse to believe, and that's how you know they just can never unlock their potential. Like, do you have to give your whole being to this belief so you can unlock it? How does it work?
2: Um, I think conditioning is what makes us believe it's not true. Um, I think that when you look at the system that we're in, um, the higher powers on earth that are you know, quote unquote, evil, or only looking for profit. Um, They're really enslaving us to cater their purpose and their mission, which is money, power. And um, there's a lot of things that are introduced to us um, that come in forms of convenience that actually um, desensitize our bodies and um, calcify our pineal gland which is a gland that they don't even teach us in school because that is a gland in our, in our mind that is supposed to connect us to our higher self or God, universe, source, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, every day we're in constant warfare of being able to truly be in touch with who we really are to, to who we were before this human experience and who we are after. And um, that's what we're struggling with every fucking day, every fucking second. I mean, the fact that we're able to communicate like this right now, like, that wasn't meant to be part of this, like, I don't think that was meant to be part of this life on Earth. Or maybe it was, and we're learning how to navigate through it. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me how we can, like, record sound and how we can, like... Ah, uh, capture images and moments in time when really time doesn't exist. It's a construct that we all agree on. You know, I can go on for hours about this shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's
1: great, and obviously you're very passionate about it. And and yeah. yes, I, I agree with you. The fact that we can have these conversations and. Lord knows, been doing a lot of these things lately. Of just talking to people all over the world, and it's like we're in the same room together. It's.
2: I just wanted to point. Out, I just wanted to point out the the agnostics that Lord knows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm also living in the south now. I live in South Carolina. Oh here, yeah. Six years now. So.
2: God bless your
1: heart. <laughs> yeah, bless your heart. Things like that. I mean, I don't mean any of the shit. But yeah. Like, you say, oh my god, oh Jesus Christ, oh shit, you know, like like, like stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why I just revert to it, but I do. Weird yeah. stuff. Let's bring back the comedy here because that's something I, I really want to talk to you about is is the fact that we're talking about the, the female comedians and, and just common tropes that I've noticed. How do you set yourself apart from those kinds of acts? How do you, uh, do you tailor your act around staying different or just, do you just do you?
2: I just do me. Um, you know, a long time ago, I stopped uh, comparing myself to other people and it's, authenticity that um you know attracts people to you um everyone wants to there's a lot of people that don't know how to be their authentic selves you know um and so if you're your authentic self and someone is craving to be authentic they're gonna gravitate more towards you other people that are authentic will recognize that you're authentic and they'll gravitate more towards you um so as much as yeah i would love to be like famous and have, like, movies and, like, do comedy at that level where that's all that I do, um, I'm not trying to force it or I try not to be, like, attention-seeking because I, I truly believe in, um, everything happening when it's supposed to and, like, when you're ready to. Um, so, um... Yeah. Am I answering your question?
1: <laughs> oh, that was, absolutely you are.
2: Okay. <laughs> that's,
1: and that's the beauty of podcasting, too. And, like, you're a podcast so host. You do your thing, you know. And uh, sometimes you just start talking. And you just go down this yeah. path. And your brain just explodes. And you just start going down. I, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. You, yeah. I, I get it. It's what happens. That's what makes these conversations <laughs> just kind of long-form things just so much better and just just more interesting to listen to. So, I get you, and the, yes, you did answer my question beautifully. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, what started your interest in comedy? When did you get the bit by the bug, and who were some of your inspirations?
2: Um, so I mean, I've been I've been a comedy fan since I was a kid. Um, but I so when I moved to Los Angeles, um, the goal was to get into um. TV, like I want to get into TV hosting and also like into radio in LA mm. and I got a job with this company and was doing like interviews and things like that. And we were posting up these videos on YouTube and I had haters, man. I had haters that, you know, said some really mean things. And so that I was a terrible interviewer. And, um, one of my coworkers slash kind of like manager type figure at the time was like, he's like, um, no dude. He's like, I think you're great. You, you have so much potential, you're natural at it, but obviously you always want to work on your craft and, and continue to learn and be better. So he's like, maybe you should just start taking some classes. Like, why don't you do like an improv class or something like that? Hmm. I was like, Oh, that's a good idea. So I started looking into improv classes and I, um, I got enrolled at, um, Upright Citizens Brigade, which is, you know, a comedy school in L.A., mm-hmm. um, and I started taking improv comedy, fucking loved it, and then I started taking sketch, uh, sketch writing, um, script writing, sketch writing comedy, and oh my god, I fell in love with my teacher, He's he's just, oh my god, I would I would marry him today. I don't know what it is about him. I love him so much. I still follow him on Facebook. and I'm like, hey, daddy, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I always loved to write. So it was cool to like finally learn how to script write. And then that's kind of like got me into producing stuff. So then I started kind of like producing my own little short films and things like that. And then I was working um, when I there was a point in time when I lived in L.A. where I probably didn't dance for like about a year at least like six months to a year. And I started working at a restaurant um, right down by the Staples Center, which is like where the, the, um, the Lakers play. And um, I did really well there. Like on game nights, I would make a couple hundred dollars, you know, a night, which was like what I would make dancing. It was a lot harder work, but it was better for my mental health. And, um, and I worked with a lot of actors and people that, you know, were doing that kind of thing. And there was this girl um named cassidy who was a comic and so when her and i started talking she was and like she's like dude you're so funny like da. da, da. she's like have you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy and i was like uh no not really but like i love i love comedy um i like imp- i've like, done improv um i like writing so she's like let me help you write your first five minutes And i was like okay so she literally like pulled me into it <laughs> and and we sat down she helped me write my first five minutes And I pretty much took that five minutes and just kept adding stuff to it. Like those original five minutes, I still perform to this day. Um, But now I can perform, you know, I would say I'm probably close to performing like a solid 30, like a tight 30. But I could probably do like a 45, you know, Um, and it's taken me 10 years to get there, you know. So, um, yeah, that's how it started. I had a friend that saw it. I mean, she pulled pulled me into it and then I tried it and I loved it and I just never stopped.
1: And now how can some people out there that think they're funny differentiate themselves? Because some people are like school funny where you can tell the funny fart joke or, you know, hey, this teacher looks like this. As opposed to telling jokes to people all around the country all the time as your main job and being funny and appealing to a mass audience. How can they tell the fact? Because you have to weed out a lot of crap in comedy. I'm sure you've seen it. People coming in thinking they're funny. Open mic nice and they just bomb. But to their friends, they're funny. How would you like tell someone, hey, maybe you're not funny, maybe you're not good for this?
2: I would never tell anyone that they're not funny. Um, I, comedy is an art form. Um, it is very subjective. Um, I think everyone has the potential to be funny. Um, again, it comes back to being able to step back and look at a truth and look at something and find out what's funny about it. And then be, being able to speak about it in a way that's relatable. So, I mean, there's a lot of com- comedians that personally are not funny to me that are extremely successful and they make way more money than me. So who am I to fucking say that they're not funny, you know? So um, I'm very big about like not saying, oh, he wasn't funny. Like now if I'm talking to a friend of mine, like I'll be like, oh, yeah, he wasn't funny. And they know that I that I mean, I didn't think he was funny, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I don't like to say that guy's not funny because the next person may think that they're funny. Um, now as far as like maybe coaching someone or offering advice to someone, um, you know, uh, I think constructive criticism is great. I'm always open to it and I don't like to offer it unless someone asks for it. Um, or it's just someone that I already have that relationship with where I could tell them like, Hey, uh, you know, maybe try this or that and it will hit harder.
1: Now, you did mention that comedy is subjective, which is very true. I mean, it, because I may not laugh at something that someone says and you know, someone else might die laughing from it. So it, that's just the way it is. But as a comedian, though, when you go into different places, so like you might perform here one night and your jokes might kill in front of like a like. let's and, 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 and I'm trying to be PC here. So let's just say like your jokes kill in front of a white audience. Right. And it may be like you go in front of an Asian audience and those same jokes don't work. Do you have to like, and, and I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of a, of a comedian here. So if I'm going out there and I, and my jokes, kill a white crowd, I might have jokes for a black crowd or a Hispanic crowd. Like, do you have different things that you might touch on based off oh, yeah. the audience that you're in front of?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm a multiracial bisexual woman, so okay. I, I check off quite a bit of boxes that make me relatable um so usually I can perform the same set anywhere and and have the same sort of response um which was something that was like I was scared of when I started doing comedy here because I remember like when I first went to the house of comedy in Scottsdale I'm like oh a bunch of snobby white people you know and like I wasn't sure how my set would go with them and then they actually loved it because I do make comments about about stereotypical things that you know people agree with so they think it's funny or whatever, um but like yeah, like I like my my comedy husband <laughs> I have a comedy so you know like how you have like a work wife or a work husband, I have a comedy husband, and um he's my gay best friend, and um you know, I perform in his rooms a lot and I have like a good solid five minutes that's all about um, like the gay community and, um, the lesbian community. And so like, usually when I go, or I have jokes that and slang words that are more recognized in that community. So I'll use that stuff more when I'm in those rooms, you know, I can do the same jokes in a straight crowd, um, or a mixed crowd and some people might get it, but it's not going to hit as hard as it does in in the gay room, you know,
1: gotcha. Because gotcha. that's what I was always wondering when I was watching, you know, like uh, some of your stuff I'm just I'm, I'm just like thinking myself like do you perform the same act in front of people? So I'm, I'm glad you answered that because it does shed a lot of light on something I've been wondering about for a while with just comedians in general Is it the same act in every single venue because you go to some states and it's like an all-white crowd and all black crowd and you Don't know if the jokes are gonna hit the same way. So that does shed some light on it. So yeah. I, thank you for that. you um, How would you describe your brand? Just if, 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 if you had to describe yourself and what you're all about, the people that are hearing your voice for the first time, how would you describe it?
2: So I actually did this whole other podcast where we talked about branding and um, the word brand is so open-minded and (laughs) open-ended um because the brand is really like the feeling that you get when you see that quote-unquote brand so for me my brand is authenticity um I try to be authentic in everything that I do and um open-minded and um like exploring walking that line of things that are a little bit more taboo like I like thinking outside the box and you know my stuff is is edgy but it's it's edgy in a way that's not necessarily repulsive like I can I could talk about like butt sex jokes and you not get appalled by it you know like (laughs) so like when I get told that oh you know this is a like a pg-13 type of show like, best believe there's going to be some innuendos about, like, eating ass in there, you know? like. <laughs> and you may not realize it until, like, 30 seconds after I said it that it was an ass-eating joke. Like, I have, like, a, I have this way with words where I can, like, put really edgy stuff in there, but your kid would not know what I was
1: talking about. And that's an art form right there. And and that's something that, and you know, I, I, I kind of want to get into that here, is just the whole art form of being a, a comedian because you can tell a joke that kills in front of every audience, right? Give me that same joke and I'll say it in front of the same audience and it wouldn't hit the same way. Yeah. How, how do you master that artistry of performing a joke correctly to the point where it'll kill?
2: Going to open mics and practicing it, trying it out on people, seeing what works, figuring out the timing. I mean, like I just started, I just started going to open mics more recently because I have a comedy festival going, um, coming up in August. And so it's like, all right, never have a comedy festival coming up. Like, I, you know, really want to kind of add something new. Um, so I start writing more and then you have to try it and see if it works. And, um, you have to like, kind of try these, try these jokes with like, not rehearsing it. Like, you just kind of like, all right, this is the punchline. This is what I, this is the premise. And so like, when you go to these open mics, um, and you perform and you're trying something new, it's, it's almost like you're rambling a little bit because you're like trying to figure out what works. Then you have to record everything and then re-listen to it and, and hear where the laughs are hitting and then figure out, okay, I need to shorten this or take this out or maybe I should make something here to make this hit harder. And it, it really is like dissecting. You have to keep performing it and then dissect it each time. And I talk about this um, in my podcast because I think this is truly the reason why comedians struggle with anxiety, because and depression. Because you know, if you're looking at Buddhist teachings, depression comes from um, thinking too much about the past, and anxiety comes from anticipating the future instead of being in the present moment. So, as a comedian, you're constantly going back to something that you did in the past and you're, and you're judging it and you're, and you're grading it and you're figuring out what I could have done better, then you're anticipating how you're going to do it the next time. So you're constant in limbo with that art because it is not, it's not a truly freely creative art because you're manipulating it to make other people laugh and for it to speak to other people. So um, I have to do other things like the podcast that allow me to truly be freely creative where I can say anything I want whatever comes off to the top of my head and not have to like edit it or change it later, you know?
1: Oh, I'm with you hundred percent. And yeah, I feel like it's, it's a really good outlet, especially if you're a creative person and someone who has anxiety. I agree with everything that you said there, because I mean, it, it, it's really hard to shut it off sometimes. And instead of shutting it off, it, it's nice to express it in other you know, ways and things like that. I want to ask you about your podcasting though. Know, like what made you start a podcast? Was it just the fact that you just needed something to do with your creativeness or how did this happen?
2: You know, um, I actually started it because I was trying to be more efficient with my time and and uh have another way to practice my craft. And um I wanted, you know, I didn't like going to open mics. You would, you would drive like 30, 45 minutes to go to an open mic. Then you have to sit there for an hour or more waiting to get up on stage. You do five minutes and then you drive back home and you're, you're wasting, you know, three, four hours just to get five minutes out. Um, so for me, I looked at podcasting as a way for me to still be home with my daughter and being able to be creative. And the cool thing is, you know, I can try jokes out that I'm working on during my podcast, too, and see how those hit, even though it's just one person that I'm doing it with. It's also another comedian. And I feel like if you can make a comedian laugh, then you're going to make a whole room laugh, you know, okay. um, even though I'm the comedian that fucking laughs at everything. <laughs> 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 so I, I usually tell people, you know, like, um, you know, I may, may not be the best judge because I laugh at everything. But that's also just because I'm really open minded. And I don't let my own bad experiences like make something piss me off you know oh yeah
1: now when you're doing your comedy are you a certain character are you yourself turned up a little bit or is it just you when you go out there
2: all of the above it's it really kind of just depends on the type of mood i'm in and the kind of sass i want to bring out um where my level of confidence is i'm definitely turned on um and i'm i'm kind of a chameleon when it comes to expressing because it, i really try to be in the moment even though it's something that's rehearsed i try to be in the moment i try to act out a little bit more if i'm if i'm speaking about someone else or portraying someone else's um words that we're exchanging an interaction i try to reflect that character um so i definitely try to heighten everything i think that's one of the things that uh, that can really be missed in comedy. and when you look at some of the professionals out there um, that turn on those act outs, that physical part of the comedy, it's equally important rather than just standing up there and you know talking into a microphone. Um, so I do try to turn it on more, and that's one thing I've actually been working on is just kind of like working on like using the stage more, using my body more just be more expressive with my face when I say certain things because all of that all that abs
1: oh it definitely does and th- as far as the current state of comedy goes do you see it getting any better or do you see it as far as mainstream comedy just being more of a political thing where people are pushing agendas and not telling jokes and just being bipartisan about everything do you, where do you see it going from here
2: um I definitely see it getting better and stronger. Um, you know, you've probably heard a lot of comedians recently say it's our last form of free speech. Um, mm. which I agree, along with podcasting. Um, so there's always gonna be someone trying to push an agenda, you know. Um there's that's that's always people are always gonna speak their truth. So, um, I think it's just going to get more powerful. Um, and I think, you know, like when I went to go see David Spade last night, they had, um, I think they had over 400 people there and they said that was like the pack that the most pack they've ever had in like a couple of years.
0: Really?
2: Yeah. And so like people are really starting to just not only just appreciate life, but appreciate arts and things more um I, I truly believe comedy is healing and liberating so i think people that see that and know that respect that and and want to be a part of that um i just see it continuing to get better and then you have like allies in the comedy world now like you know netflix and mm-hmm. netflix shines a huge light on comedians and um i just I can see it being like stronger than it's ever been. Really,
1: I sure hope so. Cause we need to laugh more. The past you know, year and a half or so has taught us anything. And we see the smile. Mm-hmm. You being a comedian, you know, you you provide that for a lot of people. So it's it's very therapeutic. It, yeah. It's, and it's infectious. And we need to see people's faces. You need to see these things come off. And you need to see everyone smile. I think that would be very good for everyone. I do have a couple questions here in closing for you? Sure. I, I, I want to ask you because you, you you don't just do one podcast. You have a, a second podcast and a YouTube series called Fart Talk. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to talk about this. How did this come about? <laughs> oh
2: my God. Okay. So <laughs> I started vlogging in in college, and I continued to vlog when I moved to LA and then I kind of stopped vlogging for a while and then I found out I was pregnant and I was trying to figure out how I wanted to tell all my family members that I was pregnant. So I made a vlog about, I came out about my pregnancy on YouTube and this was back when YouTube had like direct messaging. So people could send you like messages on YouTube. So, um, I don't know. I think I just got into YouTube at the right time because it was like super easy to get like a thousand views like that, you know? And, um, and this girl messaged me and was like, um, I just found out I'm pregnant. It was like when I was further along, She's like, I just found out I'm pregnant. And I heard that when you're pregnant, that like, you're really fraudulent and The gas is really bad. Like, could you make a video talking about that? I was like, yeah, sure. That's hilarious. So I made this whole video about farts while pregnant. It was like talking about scenarios and recalling all these different times I farted and like how bad it was and what it smelled like. And I, and I took like clips from like different movies and TV shows where there's like fart jokes. And I like, and I mashed them in there. (laughs) And, um, I, you know how YouTube will pick a random like thumbnail, and it took like this one mm-hmm. thumbnail of me where like my mouth is kind of open, and it was just like I don't know, look, it looked like it could have been a pornographic like image.
0: <laughs> just a, yeah.
2: yeah, and I titled it "Farts Are Sexy," and like I had no idea that this was gonna open up fucking Pandora's box. Mm. And um, I just posted it, kind of forgot about it. And then I signed on on YouTube, and it had, like, 40,000 hits. Okay. And, and then it got flagged for copyright. So, um, so it got taken down because I had those clips from those movies and stuff like that. Oh. So, then, so then all these guys start messaging me, and they're asking me questions. And this guy was asking me for legit advice on... He said, you know, I have a fart fetish and I really want to find a girlfriend that's okay with it. And, um, you know, I felt for him. So I was like, let me try to give him some like legit advice. You know, this is like probably the first time I tried life coaching, you know? (laughs) And like, so I made a video and I like read his letter and I kind of like made fun of him a little bit because his grammar was like terrible. And then I like legit tried to give him advice just based off offering like perspectives And to this video that, that to this day, that video gets a thousand hits a day. And that, and that video is about 10 years old.
1: How do you advise somebody who has a fart fetish? I mean, like, dude, just hang out at Taco Bell's. I mean, like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck?
1: Yeah. shit right there. So,
2: so then, um, you know, time passes I, it was just a video that I made, and I, and I like, left it alone. I think I also made a video called, like, How to Catch Pink Eye, and I talked about how farting in your face... How, farting in, some of, if you're smelling farts, you can get pink eye or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, time passes, and one of my good friends, uh, you know, he's not really on social media, but he likes to do a lot of research. And when I told him I started doing comedy again, he was kind of, like, looking at my stuff, and he found, like he found my YouTube channel and I wasn't really doing much with it at that time. And he was like, why don't you still do this shit? And I was like, do what? He's like, like make like YouTube videos. And I was like, I know it's something that I need to do. He's like, no, like do this fart shit. He's like, you can capitalize on this shit. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, dude. He's like, this is your fucking calling. You're the fart girl. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. He's like, come on Lex. He's like, you're funny. You're hot. You know, like, you like talking about this kind of stuff you're open-minded you offer a new perspective he's like you're going to be helping people and then you're also going to be capitalizing off like the fetish community or whatever and i so like i sat with that for a while and then i met dana uh wison who's my co-host and she's about the same age as me there's a lot of younger people in the comedy scene so we're both in our mid-30s and um she is very edgy um she has Tourette's syndrome so the way her brain works is like just fascinating and uh we just compliment each other really well and um so one day I was like hey Dana do you want to like host a podcast with me that's like all about farts and she's like fuck yeah I do (laughs) and it was just it's been a wrap since then
1: That's incredible. Now, let me ask you about the, the whole Tourette's thing. Does she just, like, randomly cuss, or, like, is that a thing?
2: Um, so we actually have a whole episode called, um, it's called tu- Tourette's, or, it's called, like, Tourette's and in some- in Twisted Thoughts, or something like that, I think that's what mm. it's called. And um, that was, like, an episode that we kind of dedicated to mental health. And Dana actually um, really opens up about her Tourette's syndrome there. And we ask her all those questions. And and she more so has, like, um, body tics. Oh, okay. And, and um, she'll, she can lose her train of thought, like, really easily.
1: Shit, I can relate to that, man. Holy fuck, I... I self-medicate for things like that. And I'm telling you, it's like as I get older, I'm 38. I don't know how old you are. And it's not polite to ask a lady. So I won't do that. But as you get older, like my brain, it, it really doesn't stay focused. So I so I can definitely relate. So I will be checking that one out. Where else can people find you? And, and, and what projects you have coming up that you're proud of? Anything you want to promote, talk about now?
2: Um, yeah, so I guess I'll unofficially officially announced that I'm going to be um, a part of the Burbank Comedy Festival in August um, it's almost the entire month of August the first like week and a half is all going to be virtual and then the second the second half is going to be all in person at Flappers Burbank and I'm really excited about it because Flappers was the first place I ever performed comedy and I haven't performed there since so it will be really nice to return there right around my 10-year mark so I'm really excited about that um, you can find me on all social platforms as Lexis Chardé, L E X I S L E X I S S H A R D E. And my YouTube channel is, um, Lex Luther L E X L U T H E R. And that is where you can find, um, episodes for both my podcasts. It's mostly all my fart talk stuff on there. Cause we do live streaming like every Wednesday for that. And then I do, you know, post some performances here and there, and other videos and whatnot. So,
1: yeah, that's awesome. I'll be checking out everything. And let me just say here, you have the greatest name ever. Did you keep this name when you were dancing, or did you change it up? Because you have the perfect name for for being a, <laughs> a professional dancer. I'm telling you.
2: So I'm actually working. I've been working on this joke about this, um, but no, I did not. I did not keep my name when I was dancing. I actually went by, uh, so the joke is after like a couple days of going up to dudes going, would you like a dance? Would you like to dance with me? How about you? Would you like to dance? I decided to change my name to Sadie Hawkins. (laughs) (laughs) So I went by Sadie, um, when I danced and I, I did. And when people asked me if that was my real name, I said, yeah, Sadie Hawkins. And if they got it, it was, it was awesome. Some people just thought that was some people didn't know what Sadie Hawkins was. So, um, so yeah, that's what I went by.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I just, I want to say thank you for coming on the show here and just for being so open about your life and career and, Everything like that. And I implore everyone to check out your, your podcast. It's amazing. I, I, I binged them today. I, I got some more work to, to do. I got catch up with some of the older backlog here. Now I got the far talk. I got a lot of stuff to check out the next couple of days. So I thank you for that as well as coming on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you very much. And keep in touch, please. And, and I'm going to put all the links at the bottom of the page here for everyone that come check you out. And just... Well wishes, and please stay in touch with us if you have anything else to promote. And you know, just reach out and let us know.
2: Okay, thank you.